What if every day you had the chance to experience more love and intimacy in your life? We're going to be sharing stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. Enjoy this podcast with Dawn Richard. Wake up to real love. Hi, everyone. This is Dawn Richard, and this is the uh, also known as the Awakening with Dawn, and this is the Wake Up to Real Love podcast show, where we share stories of struggles and triumphs in love, sex, and relationships, along with expert advice to create more conscious connections. I am super honored today to welcome my new friend and guest, Simone Gisandi. Hi, Simone. Hi, Dawn. <laughs> um, I was on Simone's podcast last week, two weeks ago, last week. Last um, week. And we had an amazing conversation. And so I just, I mean, we had planned it, pre-planned it, um, but we have a lot in common, a lot of similar experiences, although uh, we're going to dive into her reality um, and, and her transformation. Um, but Simone is a, an amazing, beautiful woman with a deep, deep heart and soul. Uh, she's a holistic health practitioner who nearly lost her life when she suffered a stroke during her divorce. Um, it's this event that took her down the path of holistic health and self-development. Since this nearly fatal event, Simone has been dedicating her life to study health and self-development to help empower and teach others how to improve their health and relationships. Welcome, Simone. Thank you so much for having me, Dawn. Very nice introduction. I'm very grateful. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, this is so crazy because when I heard that part of your story, um, I just thought, how in the world did you survive? You know, I get asked that question so many times. And when I look back on it, I, I ask myself that very same thing. And the only answer I can come up with is that I just took it one day at a time. And more importantly, one moment at a time, because it was just that moment was fulfilled. So I was like, okay, and it's now the next moment that I have to take care of. Otherwise, I think that the overwhelm would have taken over me if I had to look long term. Uh, I didn't even have the, I think, ability because I was in the stroke situation. I didn't have the ability to even reason how I would get to, you know, a year down the road. Right. So it was one moment at a time, not even one day. <laughs> not even one step. Just that's like right. Moment by moment. Can you talk about, because I, you know, I had all these questions like, how was your health before? Like, what kind of lifestyle did you live leading up to you having a stroke? Oh, my God. I was the epitome. I'll tell you. Uh, so I wrote a book about this. And in it, I actually talk about it because I remember the emotional impact that the words of my doctor, my 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 family doctor had on me because I would go to her and she would say, you are my most exemplary patient. I mean, I had Wow. Perfect blood work. All my results were perfect. I was working out, eating very right. I mean, very clean, never drank. Um, I was a runner. Uh, I, I was so precise with how much sleep I got, what passed my lips, how much I drank. I was like very conscious of being hydrated, um, working out. So I, and I looked really good. So I was in my mind, I was the epitome of health. Uh -huh. And by every measure that the medical industry looks at, 
I was super healthy. I was like the, you know, star patient, even in my, my doctor's practice. But I think that the, that whole mentality for me, at least it crumbled that the idea that what you eat and what you drink and how much you sleep is the be all end all to health. It's not, it's not. actually mindset is so much more important and in what state of being you are, how happy and at peace you are with yourself really plays such a larger role than simply just eating and drinking the right things. Well, you know, you know that we're, they're all connected, right? Mind, body, heart, soul. And so when one is out of whack, that means the rest is. So where was your mindset and your heart set back then? Oh, well, I mean, to the outside world, it seemed perfectly happy and balanced and strong, but I come from a background of, um, and, and I don't mean to judge my parents or anything like that, because I understand that in the cultural, like with, through the cultural lens. And at the time that my parents grew up, the approach of the punitive approach was actually the most widely accepted one. And it was part of the cultural fabric. And so whenever we let's say as children in my family, when we disobeyed, we would get beaten into obedience. So I I was sort of, I grew up that way. And of course it was part of my upbringing through and through. Um, And I think I internalized all that trauma and I never dealt with it. And I had a lot of, I think, anger towards my, especially towards my father, because he's the one who was the, um, disciplinarian that's right this i would call him tyrant dictator um Mm -hmm. and the punisher and so he's the one that sort of was the perpetrator that saw that that was actually quite necessary and to this day if you talk with him when i talk with him and he sees that i've you know made strides and i'm successful and i've overcome so much he says well yeah it's thanks to me if i hadn't done that you wouldn't be who you are today to this day he actually thinks that that was to my benefit clearly i don't speak with him and i don't have uh i don't think that would be able to be on the same wavelength for me to even try to get him to understand the um the role that trauma plays in one's life and health overall mm-hmm and of course having studied it after the fact just to see the role that it plays i saw that people turn to substances risky behaviors um even crime to be able to kind of right crime and other violence yeah Uh um to be able to express the anger and be able to take it out because it always seeks to be expressed or it always seeks to come out it seeks an outlet and we subconsciously do things that are so foreign to us and we are not even in the state of awareness that what we're doing is actually trying to allow that trauma to come to finality so that it can finally, we can finally be free and have liberty from it. Mm-hmm. Were you, as a, as a kid, uh, when you were punished, were you um, extremely afraid of your father and mother? Oh God, yes. Jeez, Dawn. I've you like, just like run like, away. Like death was more of a friend than him. Wow. <laughs> because you knew that anything, I mean, he would, he would literally beat us. And that was just, I mean, like I said, no disrespect and no, no judgment because I know that's how it was back then. And that's how it was in that culture. Probably but, how he was raised as well. Right. And that's how he was. I mean, yeah, wow. because I, when I had heart to hearts with 
hard, hard conversations with him, he would tell me like uh, he, he told me about one specific situation in which he was punished by, um, his stepmother at the time. And the punishment was she told him go to the corner of the room and she gave him a bottle, one liter bottle of water. And she said, hold it out with your hand extended. And he said, for how long? And she said, for as long as I tell you, go there and do it now. So he went and he was young. He was about seven. He said, uh-huh. he went and he did it. And of course, naturally your arm's going to get tired and the arm starts to drop and she would beat the living daylights out of him because his arm would drop. So what wow. did he learn? The same thing that that's how you express when somebody does something that's not, you know, up to standard that you have set for them, then you have to teach them that you know, this is what happens. So there's a consequence to you not being able to live up to that standard. And so he kind of took that mentality and brought it into our family and perpetuated it. And where is, where is your mom when this was happening? Well, don't think that she was spared. I mean, she was, she was in it too. He, Uh like, he was the, he was sort of like the dictator of our, of our, let's, Uh if you were to look at my household and the family as a country, he was a dictator and he ran everything with capital punishment, sort of, you know, iron fist. And so when, even when she was to do something that was not up to his standard or to his liking or the way that he expected it and you disobeyed, there would be severe punishment coming your way. And I'm not talking like you get, let's say, much like it was done even here in North America in the past, you know, you get a smack or, you know, no, no, no. It was like a good old fashioned, like a beating. And I think that it's really important that people understand the demarcation line between, you know, spanking somebody and beating somebody. A beating was like, like, I mean, I got beaten. I remember one time I got beaten so bad that I could not sit to, I would, I had to eat dinner standing because if I like, and I remember when he was beating me, I remember seeing my own blood splatter on the wall. Oh, geez. And then I, yeah, so I couldn't go to school because if I would have gone to school, I wouldn't have been able to sit. And I had uh-huh. like wounds that had to heal. Uh-huh. And I had to sleep on my stomach for an extended period of time until like, obviously I like my wounds healed. And so, yeah, so those were sort of like the normal kind of days when my father was not, you know, like if you pissed him off and that meant like, if you made a mistake, like, you know, you dropped a mug and it broke. Mm-hmm. Well, there was consequences to that. So you so, have these unrealistic expectations to be perfect. Yes. And actually perfectionism was something that took over for me in the sense of, I took it to like, much like I was telling you when I was like with my health, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can only eat this much, this much at this time you know, between this hour and this hour and I sleep from this hour. So it was like everything had to be so perfectly aligned with what was expected of people to be qualified as healthy that I took it to an extreme. Absolutely. And so how does that impact how you felt about yourself? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I, I always, you always seek that um elusive, I think, validation for what is perfect which never comes, but you keep, you keep running after it, uh you know, to be the perfect person, to be the perfect student, to be the perfect daughter, to be the perfect employee to be. So it showed up in every aspect of my life and I never had the chance to attain it 
So it was the constant frustration. It's like chasing the carrot that you never get to really mm-hmm. touch. And you and you have this experience of not feeling good enough about anything. Yeah, I mean, not good enough. Uh, I think more than anything, the worth, the self-worth was was probably one of the biggest impacts because uh, clearly through the way that I was uh, raised and, you know, the punishments that came with every mistake, I it kind of gets ingrained in you that you're not worth of happiness and you're mm-hmm. not worth to do well. You're not worth of praise. You're not worth to ever have anything of value that actually helps you grow as a person mm-hmm. or helps you evolve into the into the next stage of evolution as whatever you are, a teenager, a young woman, so on and so forth. So I always struggled with that. Um, and then it showed up even in in friendships, you know, people who were dishonest. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not worth honesty either. So it, it totally kind of, it, it became like a cascade of things that were so closely interconnected that, of course, I found out about later on through my own self-development journey. What about your siblings? Oh, my brother. Yes. Oh, uh, deeply affected in the, exactly the same way, like me. Uh-huh. Um, the only thing I could say about my brother that I don't yet know, because, of course, uh he would put it through his own lens. Um, when our parents split up, my, my brother chose not to have any contact with our father. Mm. And I think he did that either for his self-protection or for his own closure so he can heal. Whereas I chose to forgive him after years, of course, it, it was a progress. Um, and then I wanted to sort of find out from him more because I was trying to study him to understand where all of this had come from so that once I understand it, then I could put the pieces together and then I'm able to have finality to it and have some sort of closure for myself, but with information at hand. Um, Were you able to, were you able to get that information that you needed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because he was able to help me understand the history of it Mm -hmm. in the sense of, what happened to him and why he chose to express himself in the way that he did. Uh, I was able to understand about the intricacies of his relationship with my mother and how huge of an impact that was on him because he did not feel supported. Mm. And I think that was important. So in his sort of um, interaction with my mother, he accumulated more frustrations and, um, failures and disappointments, Mm -hmm. which made him more angry, which made him want to express that anger even more. So it was just like a perpetuating vicious cycle. Yeah. Right. And so that was important to me to learn. So, well, to the next question is, have you spoken to your mom at length about this? I'll tell you, um, my mom is not as self-aware as my dad is. Oh. Um, so she, so she does. And first of all, and second, I don't have the, the com, like we don't have the comfort level with each other to have that kind of in-depth conversation. My conversations, I don't have that connection with my mom. I don't have the ability to have the, the richness and depth of conversation with her that I did with my dad. Hmm. Um, and I was actually grateful that I was able to have those conversations with him because he was the person who was holding the key 
mm-hmm. to the whole thing because he was the one who was abusing us. Mm-hmm. He was the one who was in his anger state. My mom just took it. I mean, I, I struggled a lot with how I felt about my mom because on one hand, I felt like, how could you stay with him for so long for us right. to accumulate all this trauma? Right. And then, holy crap, you were so strong to stay with him for all this time to take all the trauma. So I struggled and and I was conflicted between how I felt about her for many years. Well, and I imagine the same is about your dad, too. It's like you you love him. You love him because he's your dad. And I would imagine that, well, I don't know, were there times where you felt close and cared for by him? Um, so in, in the culture at that time, so just to preface it a little bit more, I grew up in a very hardcore communist country. Uh Um, and to show affection was almost forbidden and we just Uh did not show affection in our family. Like I don't, I think maybe I could count on one hand between both my parents and my entire life that they said, I love you to me. Mm hmm. Or I understand you, or I, I care, or I value you. Mm-hmm. None of that. Uh huh. It was more, so there, was it more like, you know, children should be seen and not heard type of. Oh yeah, absolutely. That. Mm-hmm. And also you had to know your role. You don't ever talk back at your parents. So even if you have something to say, or even if you think for yourself, I mean, you could for, you know, could have been a a genius in the making. You could have been the next mm. um Einstein. Da Vinci or Plato <laughs> or uh-huh. Shakespeare. It didn't matter. You obeyed your parents. You don't speak up. You don't speak your truth and you don't express even your creativity. You basically live by the rules of your parents under their roof and you speak when you're spoken to. And that's that. Uh-huh. So, uh, so obedience, oh. obedience at all costs. Obedience was beaten out of you. Uh-huh. Much like the way, to be honest with you, the way I look at it, Don, it's much like how, because for me, I have that lens from having grown up in a communist country and seeing how obedience was forced out of you. That's pretty much to me what's unfolding in, in our world right now, where obedience is, is sort of forced out of you. And this kind of showed up in many areas um, in, in our society, even here in North America. Um. Because, because other people, other entities know better than you. And they are in the position of power. Uh huh. Right. Yes. Okay. So my next question was about you were able to have these conversations with your dad in order to process what you experienced in order to gain some, some understanding about what you went through. Yeah. Um, and I, I know that we talked a little bit on your podcast about forgiveness because Very forgiveness powerful. is probably the most difficult thing. Oh, yes. And yet the most important thing for our healing journey. Very and true. So how two, two, two parts of this question is one, what if people are not able to have that sense of closure? And have those kinds of conversations with the people that hurt them. How do you get to forgiveness? That's the one part. And then the second part is how do you, how did you come to a place of forgiveness or, 
and we know it's it's ongoing. <laughs> so I know there's not, you know, one wave your magic wand and poof, it's done. But can you talk about your experience and your forgiveness journey? And then also, what if there is no understanding or disclosure or conversations? How do people deal with their own sense of hurt and heartache and grief about what happened to them? I think the first step I would take, um, the advice I would give people is to study uh, go and seek information on how these people who have done whatever they have done to you, like what has led them, because there have been many studies done on why people abuse, why people uh, rape, why people do what they do that's not in line with, let's say, nature's laws or the laws mm-hmm. of life that mm-hmm. would move us into evolving into a better species as a whole. And I think it's important that we have that information at hand, because once you understand the roots of something, it helps you process it in your mind, make sense of it and move away from it without placing the blame. Because I know initially when I, when I was moving through my process of forgiveness, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. You're pissed off. First oh, of all, I mean, <laughs> I tell you, I went through, you know, physically what I had to go through after my stroke and I put myself through these insanely crazy things to be able to compete in in fitness competitions and which of course was amazing because it toughens you up and it really teaches you discipline but to do the mental work and the emotional work that I had to do especially where my dad was concerned was by far the most difficult thing that I've ever the heaviest most difficult I had to come face to face with so many things the conflict within myself the trying to rationalize things. And of course I had many parts of myself that came up to be and, you know, came to the forefront to be like, that's bullshit. He did it because he wanted to. And then, you know, the, the other side that had to look at it and say, no, he just didn't know any better. That's what he was taught. And if you really studied this to it, like in depth and, and I wanted, I want people to look at it because that's how I looked at it. It was an investment in my own like you said, closure, but also my liberation, because I wanted mm-hmm. to be free from those intrusive thoughts and the idea of, God damn it, why wasn't I worth loving? Yeah. Why couldn't you love me the way I need to be loved or nurtured or, you know, give me guidance in life or teach me and give me um what I need to be able to be a like an adult that can function optimally? Like, how could you rob me of that? Like, what did I do to you? So that was such a blame mentality. But then when I looked at it and I started looking more in depth, I came to realize I'm like, oh my God, he couldn't have known. Well, how could, how could somebody give you something that they themselves don't have? So that was very powerful because when I realized I'm like, I was expecting him to teach me, but he couldn't even know because he didn't know it even for himself. No, he wasn't nurtured and cared for in that way. That's right. So forgiveness can come very easily from that place when you realize their history and what led them down that path and how it came to be. Because much like you and I had the conversation before we started the podcast, hurt people hurt people. Right. Yeah. Right. And you don't, I mean, I think when it's happening to you, you say, why is this happening to me? That's what right. Did, what did I do? Where is my, exactly. you know, how is this my fault or my responsibility or um, anything like what, what is your part in the story? Right. And I think especially as young kids, 
we're innocent. We're innocent. We come into this world as a pure soul, as a blank slate, right? right? And depending on how you are raised obviously impacts what you learn about love, what you learn about yourself, what you learn about your value and worth, what you learn about um, being able to speak your truth, what you mm-hmm. learn about um, being able to express your emotions or not. Mm-hmm. And so when you're brought into this world being ultimately controlled, right? Controlled right. and having this sense of power over you. So you feel a sense of powerlessness mm-hmm. and that your whole role is to make everyone else feel better <laughs> or make everyone else, you know, live up to some unrealistic standard that other people have on you because they haven't learned how to manage themselves. So instead yeah. of managing themselves and facing their own shadows, um, they just use that uh, pent up frustration, resentment, anger. Yeah. I mean, because that's, I would imagine that all that your dad carried all of those things within yeah. him that his own sense of unworthiness, you know, and so because I feel innately unworthy and powerless, the only way that I feel like I can exert some sense of power is by having power over someone else. That's right. And as children, I don't think, I mean, looking back on it, when I was a kid, I, I don't think we don't, we, we're not yet equipped. We're not developed enough to be able to understand the intricacies on that level all you just know is i'm not cared for i'm not loved and i'm not safe those are the top three things especially the i'm not safe part because anytime my dad walked into the house i was like oh there's a beating that's exactly that was exactly my my yeah my reaction like you know you'd scan the room to make sure everything is good and so you were not even like your mind and your heart was not even in a sense of safety like your like all systems nervous system all your organ systems are now you know your body's pumping out cortisol like the stress hormone so right. imagine how could i not go down towards the path of a stroke right i mean i've done so much damage over the years um Obviously, subconsciously, unbeknownst to me, unbeknownst to him, I'm sure that he didn't do it thinking, you know, screw her, let her have right. a stroke, let her die, right. you know, when she's right. 35. So, I, yeah, it's it's important to really be able to um, dissect those factors and understand them from a different perspective and in a way that you can understand them now at a later stage when you have that capacity because it's going to make it so much easier for you to forgive and move on and also to heal yourself and learn what you should not do. Not only what you should do, but what you should not do in your own family. I never hit my kids. I was assertive with them so that I can keep them on the right path in the sense of, you know, you have to go to school and you have to get to bed on time and your brain's developing. But I also did that alongside daily be them text messages or when they're walking out, you're amazing. You're, you're gorgeous. You're so smart. Even when they came home with, you know, a bad mark, which usually would earn me a beating, we would be like, well, no, this is great. I mean, look, you answered these questions right. And these questions you didn't answer right, probably because you didn't understand them. Let's talk about what do you not understand about this question? Let, let's mm-hmm. see if we can figure it out together. 
and I would sit down with them and guide them through life in the sense of, you know, don't ever disrespect teachers, always be, you know, I have two boys, always be respectful towards girls, women, you know, and women, obviously, like women need to be respected and understood and loved so that they are armed with information that's going to always benefit them so that when they get to be adults, they can function as whole adults, not adults that have to try to still fix themselves, much like I had to do mm-hmm. over the, I mean, and continue to do, of course. <laughs> it's a there's, lifelong journey. There's nothing to be fixed, Simone. Didn't anybody <laughs> ever tell you that? There's nothing to be fixed. And I think, I think that's actually, I'm really glad that you said that because I think many, many, many people walk around this earth thinking there's something really, you know, it's something really wrong with me. I need to be fixed. Like I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm broken. Somehow I'm broken and I need to be fixed. And first of all, I mean, that mindset is not from you. (laughs) I mean, you were conditioned, like you said, to, to question your own sense of intrinsic worthiness because you weren't cared for. You weren't nurtured. You weren't, you know, you didn't feel safe in your own home. And so how did you, this is, this is the interesting thing, I think, because some people, this is one of my philosophical questions that I ask myself and other people a lot mm-hmm. is that you can grow up in a certain environment. What, what is the difference between someone who continues to perpetuate that cycle versus someone who has the awareness of this is not right. This is not how I want to raise my own children. And so how can I do things differently? What what do you think is that difference? I always ponder this question. You know, I was actually, because I'll tell you, I tried to look at the, at the silver lining. This is one of the things I've learned that's important. Much like I was telling you, I do with my kids when I'm like, okay, but you got these ones right. So concentrate on the positive, even in the negative things. And like they say, even with what's going on in the world right now, in times of crisis exists great opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I looked at what I had sort of had to go through and I said, oh man, there's such a big lesson in that because I learned that I would like not to do that. It's like, holy shit, I know how much that hurts. Right? How can I inflict that kind of pain on somebody else, especially my own, my own children, like, because this is what I was to my dad. I was his child. So I learned, okay, well, this is what I'm not going to do. Like, I know that not to do this. So it was that self-awareness of like, man, that hurts like, like nothing else. And I knew that I would never do the things that hurt me. So when you're, when you're in that state of self-awareness to the degree that you can come face to face with yourself, Cause that's important. Like to be able to sit down with yourself. We're distracted every day and there are so many demands and commitments that we have. But I found so much, so much worth in sitting down with myself to be like, okay, how did that feel? And let me tell you, it's painful to come face to face with it, but it's worth it. Because when I realized why I felt how I felt, I'm like, Oh, cause knowledge, that's why they say knowledge is power. Right. Or knowledge is actually. Tony Robbins said this once and it was very impactful for me. Knowledge is the potential for power because you have to use it. Right. 
to be able for it to be powerful and right. to give you power over things that you want to have power over. And I really wanted to have power over how my future, my family, my interaction with my children and their future was going to unfold. So there was so much worth in that. But again, much like we do in life, like for those people, and I have few friends who are PhD, I know that it takes commitment, time, effort, uh, focus, <clears throat> excuse me, dedication. It's much the same, like the end result. If you want to have that PhD in your hand or, you know, the three letters after your name, you have to put in the time and the work mm -hmm. much like to be able to free yourself from the, what haunts you from your past or yeah. from the shackles and the bondage. You have to put in the time and the effort and it's painful and it's not pretty and it takes time and effort and dedication and you have to do it daily much like it is with everything else. If you want an education, you have to do that. If you want to work out and lose weight, you have to do that. If you want to be able to, you know, get somewhere else in your career, you have to do that. You really have to put in the work. You have to earn everything. There's so much richness in it because you get something that no money can buy mm. because you learn about yourself. You learn about what to apply and how to sort of uh, navigate the waters of life in your relationships as well as with yourself and your what you endeavor for yourself in your future. Well, what do you? I I feel like so many people don't do that because they're afraid that either they'll fall into some sort of hole and never be able to get back out. You know, like oh. I, I remember, I remember my mother-in-law saying many times she was brought up, you know, sweep it under the rug, right? You just don't talk about it, sweep it under the rug. And I think many people live their lives with blinders, mm -hmm. <laughs> blinders. It's like, I'm just going to put myself on autopilot. I know this stuff that I'm experiencing is very painful, but I'm just going to pre pretend that it doesn't exist yeah. and just live as opposed because it's, because it's really scary because we're not often taught how to do it in healthy and constructive ways. So like when you were talking before about, you know, going through your, your healing process and having to deal with the anger, it's like, how do you learn to express these pent up emotions in healthy and constructive ways? And the other part of that question is where did your stroke happen along that? Well, the stroke happened when I was still holding on tightly to the anger and the blame. Uh -huh. Um, I was, um, I mean, I was so angry at my father. You have no idea because I came face to face with all the, um, a lot of the stuff that I had sort of suppressed. And I could tell you, I mean, millions of stories. I remember coming home from school. I think I was still in high school at the time. And first of all, I couldn't even keep concentrating on, on my work at school because I remember I would come home and my parents' bedroom was next to my bedroom. And I kid you not, I was obsessed because my father was on such a path of war every day. My mind started kind of taking over and I'm like, man, like what if one day he kills us? Oh my gosh. Or like, what if he kills Awful. my mom? Because many, I mean, you know, like a lot of times people say things like, uh, I'm going to kill that kid because he did this, you know, like, uh -huh. I mean, they use it loosely. Right. But 
like that thought kind of started taking over. I'm like, what if one day he like kills us? Like, I'm not saying that he's going to, you know, plan it out, but what if he beats us into like, he beats us right. to death. Right. And then, you know, I know that many times my dad and my mom would like fight and go to bed angry. And I'm like, what if he snaps and like kills her? So I would literally upset. I was obsessed with this thought. So I would lose sleep. I would lose the ability to concentrate at school because at school I was like trying to think like, okay, what can I do tonight to prevent? And I like, I remember at night I'd be like, I'm just going to pretend I have to go to the washroom and I would like kind of go and listen to their door to hear if they're snoring. Cause otherwise I'd start to panic. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't hear my mom. What if he did something to her? Mm-hmm. Like that's how deep it went. So it's, um, but the, the greatest source of strength is when I came face to face with those which were difficult and painful, uh, later on in life when I was able to understand them, because when, when they were happening back when I was in high school, I was just in that state of, heightened alertness and constant fear. Whereas when I kind of unpacked them and dissected them myself, it was basically observing them from afar and being able to see them for what they were and like kind of break them down to be like, why did I feel that? What did that mean? What triggered that? So being able to really look at each facet and understand how it was pieced together but um it was the anger and the unforgiveness that kind of got me to the stroke because I was like accumulating and perpetuating that anger within myself. And there were many days when I'd be like, but how could he and how this and, and I would like add to it. And it was like filling a cup. And then one day it's like it exploded. It had right. to come out somehow. And, right. and that's how it expressed itself. Right. And it was only after that, during the healing process, when I was like, okay, well, they say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. So let's not do the same thing. Let's take a different approach. Let me try to understand this. And then I kind of started, but I'll tell you in the first few steps, it was the went towards it to kind of understand that. And then I retracted in fear because I'm like, oh my God, that's so hard to see and watch and feel and, and, you know, think of and look at. And then, you know, again, I was like, but I still want to know, like, what exactly would create that kind of situation and why? And I guess it was also like the curious part of me. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of went right back into it and right back into it. And slowly, slowly, you know, little bits, I took one piece and then another piece and then another piece. And then I kind of, when I came to realize, to be honest with you, I actually cried for my dad because I felt, I felt pain to know mm-hmm. that in his young, young age, he had to be put through that. No child should ever have to experience that. Yeah. So it was, um, that was a big piece of the forgiveness because I know that he also went through something equally, if not worse than what I went through, equally painful and hard. And to ha- I, I think that's, I think that's the really hard part is when you're in the midst of your own hurt and heartache is to be able to somehow be a, an objective observer to the person that hurt you. Yes. Because, because when you're in it and I, and I feel like that's why a lot of people don't face it because they feel like if I'm in it, I'm going to go back and relive it, right? Yes. I'm going to go That's back right. and relive it. I'm going to experience the same emotions, which is what I don't want to do, right? I don't want to go back to that place 
um, because that's the thing that holds me imprisoned anyways. Right. So why would I want to dive deeper into the cell? (laughs) Why would I want to dive deeper into the cell? Right. right. So how, how can, I mean, this is, this is the work. This is the, um, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's challenging work because we are so used to, um, you know, like I said, putting on the blinders and not knowing how to process these things in healthy and constructive ways. So because our emotions are like a a pyramid, they're like an iceberg. And so when you have that, the anger is usually the explosive stuff that you see on the surface, but all the other things underneath the the resentment, the frustration, the sadness, the feelings of insecurity, the feelings of unworthiness, all of those things are what need to be dealt with and faced and peeled away because all of those things are tied to the person who hurt you. Yes. They're not really about you. That's right. So how do you peel back all of these layers um, because I, I think that we talked about this, um, on your podcast is that, you know, you carry this stuff behind you, right? You carry this emotional baggage with you and it drags yes. you down, right? It drags you down and it prevents you from moving forward, first of all, and it prevents you of feeling worthy <laughs> because yeah. you feel that weight, that heaviness, that pressure, all of those things that you've kept inside of you. But if you can somehow, if you can somehow develop this sense of compassion for the other, you know, from how they were brought up, what, you know, what their experience was, and that you put your, like, if you can look at them as a five-year-old, for instance, you mm-hmm. look at them as a five-year-old and and you do that for yourself too. You know, you look at, at yourself and it's like you have to reparent yourself and become that parent that you didn't have. Yes. You have to love and care for yourself and nurture yourself and be kind to yourself and patient with yourself um, in order to recognize your own sense of value and worth. Yes, exactly. You do. And, and I, that's why it's so important that you, you become self-aware because only when you can identify what, because we're, we're all biochemically unique and we're also unique in our experiences. I think that there is catch-all things in the sense of like, well, I was abused and -and so-and-so was abused, but their situation and the way that it affected them and how the, um, the rest of the environment and what role it played. Like, for example, if you're a very poor person and you're abused, it's one thing. If you're, let's say a rich person and you're abused, you, you kind of experience life differently. You, let's say in the lap of abundance and so on and so forth. So everybody's experiences are unique to them. So you have to really come face to face with that and be able to identify what it meant for you and how you internalized it and why you internalized it that way. Right. Um, and these are difficult questions because I know that sometimes when I do some, like my coaching with my clients, I ask them the, the hard questions like, you know, why do you feel that way? 
and, and they become sort of stuck because it's like, I don't know. So they never actually have delved deeper into it to understand the why behind it for themselves. So that work is completely necessary. There is no, there's a saying, the only way to get through this, you have to, you have to go through it. Right. So let's <laughs> not get over that, it. Yes. There's no shortcut. Right. I mean, I learned the hard way because obviously a lot of people look for the shortcuts, but it's so short lived. It's like maybe a moment, like in the moment you feel better. And then afterwards you come right back to being in right. it. It's like a, it's so like you, a little high. That's why yeah. people turn to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. It's like, that's, forget that's about right. it. It's not, and then, and that's crash. the escape. Those are right. the escape mechanisms that right. uh, people who are abused or traumatized, uh, they turn to something because the pain of it is so great that they don't want to face it. So they, they just take something to numb the pain, much like we are given medications when we have like painkillers, for example, right. when we have pain, physical pain from, let's say, a surgery. So a lot of people turn to those things because they don't want to come. But I'll tell you, there's nothing greater than, and I have people that have known me for, you know, 20, 30 years and they say, Oh my God, you're like such a different person. Mm-hmm. You, you really enrich yourself. If you do this hard work, there's like nothing as valuable as this because, and then I think, and this is one of the things that I tell everybody, the importance of it. If you, let's say, don't have not yet stepped into that self-worth uh, place where you should be. At least if you put other people above you or before you, like your children or your spouse or whoever it may be, at least know that the self-development work you do means that you are going to be able to give the gift of a better, more optimal you to the people you love. So your children will have a better role model. Your children will have a better, more present mother or father. Your children will be able to feel secure and safe in the presence of this new version of their mother or father. Right. And the same with your spouse and your friends and your uh, coworkers and your employer and whoever else you come in contact with. You gift the world a better version of yourself and you you will impact the collective in such a big way by doing that work. If you If you need to put yourself aside, at least look at it from that lens. Well, and hope, hopefully through doing the work, you learn to put yourself at the That's forefront. Inevitable. Yes, <laughs> it's inevitable. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> because I think that that's, it, it's, it's such a paradox, Simone. It's such a paradox because we are here to help and serve. You know, we're here to help each other. We're here to uplift each other. We're here to serve each other. Exactly. And yet if you're not, taking care of yourself, you're, you're serving from a place of, of emptiness or lack. Yes. Yes. Right. And how can you give to those you love if you don't have it yourself? It's like, how can you pour from yourself into their cup if there's nothing in you to begin with? Right. So it's important that I think by far, I think there's nothing as important as that work. And that supersedes everything from, career, education, um, you know, physical prowess or physical endurance, anything like that. Although those do play a role because it really teaches you to be very dedicated. It teaches you habit. It teaches you how to be, um, 
how to stay focused on the task at hand. So those do serve a role. But I think the most enriching is this, where you get to know yourself, mm-hmm. where you're self-aware. So you, and you're also present with yourself. Right. Much like I was telling you earlier today, a lot of things showed up that I was able to consciously come and say, Okay. Like, I need to respond to this, not react to this. Because when you, when you can recognize what's right. rising up inside of you, and that right. can only happen in a place of self-awareness, and you can recognize the nuance of that energy. It's like, I'm about to lose my, you know, then yeah. you know that you're not going to be down a good path. Whereas if you recognize it and say, okay, take a deep breath, count to 10, I, I need to respond to this. And you know what to do in advance. Otherwise, like, unconscious unevolved people react it's like the knee-jerk reaction but people that have taken the time to get to know themselves and identify how they how they are affected or triggered by things then they get a choice and whether you react or respond and even how you respond yeah well and that's that's important work that's an ongoing journey because even if you are aware and much of your life, you might be triggered and you may have moments where you react. And so I don't think, uh, I don't think it's necessarily like you can't react. It's just being aware to say, how am I going to react when I react? How would I like to react? Yes. How would I like I'll tell to you. respond? <laughs> Absolutely. There is so much, um, because the way that I, I see and I still react. And one thing that I react with the most is people who cut me off when I drive. Um, <laughs> and, and I see that, let's say, even if I do have a reaction and I say, what the hell you? And then I catch myself. So even when you catch yourself, if you're able to catch yourself, it's yeah. good because that's a really place of self-awareness because you just yeah. realize, whereas most people go through like, they say it in their car and then they chase you down and they cut you off again or right. they slam on their brakes in front of you so you can right. hit them. And it's like, it's just a cascade of things. But if you right. could catch yourself, there is so much power in that moment. So much. Yeah. So I've been wanting to ask you, where was the divorce in all of this? Oh, the divorce. Yes. Well, I mean, and it happened simultaneously with, with the stroke. I mean, the divorce was started kind of coming. Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the traumas that I had accumulated in my, in my childhood and of course, early adolescence until my, my parents split up finally when I was about 19. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, God, how I wish that they would have done it sooner. It would have been like a gift from the divine had they like stopped the war in the household earlier on. Um, so the anger that I had internalized, plus a lot of the feelings of self-worth and insecurities I took with me into my marriage. Naturally, of course, they were part right. of me. Right. I had internalized them. They had kind of become part of my fabric. And um at the first... At the first sight of the thing that, let's say, my then husband um, made a mistake on, it triggered my self-worth. Instantly, I'm like, oh, I guess I'm not worth truth or for you to call me on time or for you to be home on time or for you to help me or for so instantly all those things came to the surface Mm -hmm. and I don't think I showed up as uh the 
perfect and, and, and I hesitate using that word, but the optimal wife that I should have been uh-huh. because I had not dealt with all those things. Right. And of course I didn't understand them at the time. I was very young. I did not know how they would impact me. They were sort of happening subconsciously. And I just kept looking at it from the unconscious perspective, which of course most people do, especially at that stage. I'm cursed. I have bad luck. Life is mm. shit. Life sucks. Yeah. I'm, you know, and it was just sort of like, well, I mean, this is how it started. And here we go. It's going to keep going down the same path. And then, um, of course, looking for the ending the pattern. It was me that initiated the divorce. I mean, I felt betrayed. Don't get me wrong and hurt. And this kind of just added to the, to the pain and, betrayal that I had felt from my family already. Right. Right. So it was just, I'm like, oh, it's just another nail in the coffin. Damn it. And then of course, I think that the, that was the catalyst. It was the, the, I shouldn't say the catalyst. The catalyst was what happened with my parents. And then this is what broke the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It was uh-huh. just like the last straw. And then my, I guess all of that energy had just reached its saturation level mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, it's gotta, it's gotta seek some sort of outlet. And that was it. And I'm, and, and the reason why it was such an anomaly and that's why I look at it through such a psycho spiritual, uh, lens is because I truly did not check off any box by any medical anything that would put me at risk for a cardiovascular anything. I was a wow. runner. So I was running. My cholesterol was low. Everything was perfect. If you looked at my numbers on my, on my medical records, everything was perfect. Like my doctors were congratulating me about how great it was. And even when they, when, you know, when I worked with obviously the team of doctors, uh, in the stroke, when I had the stroke with the neurologists and neurosurgeons and so on and so forth, they were all like, but how? So even after, like, I mean, I was, you know, released, I didn't, I wasn't really released. I, it's in my book. I escaped from the hospital because they wouldn't let me go. So the rebel in me, um, my, the doctors didn't give me a reason why I had a stroke to this day. I don't have a reason. It was just, they called it. And nobody ever asked you what kind of stress are you under? That's actually the biggest. And, and I'll tell you who speaks to this. Uh, I'm sure that in your, in your capacity, you probably have heard Dr. Gabor Mate. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he speaks about that. Like nobody ever, no doctor ever asks you, do you have like, are you in pain? Like, stress, what was your upbringing like? Are, yeah. Are you psychological hurt? stress? Yeah. Like, are you traumatized? Nothing of the sort. Are you happy? No, but no doctor has ever asked you that. Basically, right. they go there, they look at the physiological thing, you know, where does it hurt? aid. <laughs> yep. And then they give you some sort of medication and they send you home and, and you basically left your devices. And that's never the healing path by no right. stretch of the imagination. Right. I think that every disease, illness, ailment is rooted in some sort of emotional um, event that has impacted you to such a degree, much like how for me, it was like obviously an accumulation. And oftentimes for a lot of people, it's an accumulation because it happens right. over years. Right. Did, did you, did we talk about Louise Hay? I think you talked? and I talked. Yes. And I love Louise. Oh yeah. She was, uh, it's also in my book. I actually bought her book. Um, right when I came out of the hospital, I was walking into, I walked into a, um, 
used bookstore and I came across her book and that became like my Bible because it yeah. really opened my eyes about how diseases express themselves and what the psycho-spiritual aspects of them yeah. are. And it's always rooted in the emotional. Yeah. That was very, very like an eye-opening thing for me. Yeah. And so dis dash ease. Yeah. Right. You're when right. you constantly uh, have these negative thought patterns going through That's your right. head <laughs> and internalize them into your cells. Yeah. Because your cells carry that energy. That's right. And so, so when you, so you, you initiated the divorce before you had the stroke. So I had initiated, yes, I initiated the divorce. And then while we were going through the divorce, like shortly after, like it was very shortly after he moved out, like uh-huh. we separated physically, it happened. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And it was, um, that was actually, I think it had come to like my entire life crumbled in that moment. I mean, not in that moment, but when I came to consciously be aware, I was like, Oh my God, I lost my marriage. Right. So I lost my family because I didn't really feel like I belonged to my family, my parents and my brother. Right. We were not really a family because there was no harmony, no right. love, no compassion, no support, no guidance. So I felt like that was just like, even looking back on it, I'm like, we were just kind of like a whole bunch of people living together and we were kind of you know, some people were providing the food and I was kind of trying to protect my brother because he's younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was my family. My husband and my children were my family. And I had built that with him. We created that together. So I lost that. And then, of course, I was in the hospital. So I wasn't even in my environment. I couldn't work. So I lost work, too. I lost I don't want to say I lost my job because they didn't fire me or anything like that, but I lost the ability to work and have purpose. So in the blink of an eye, everything was taken from me, everything, including almost my life. So that was huge impact. Like it hit me like a, like a tidal wave. I mean, of course I was like, that was a close call because imagine if I would have also died, it'd be like, shit, I was getting divorced. I was losing my, and now I, God damn it. I lose my own life. Seriously. Give me back there. But yeah, so it was, that was very impactful. And I'll tell you, because a lot of people ask me, um, I would not do anything any different. Hmm. If I could go back and say, let me avoid this stroke. I still would say, no, no, no. You made a stroke because it was the catalyst for the new version of me. And it really forced my hand. I did a lot of thinking when I was like in the hospital. Thank God my mind was not affected. It was fully intact. That's amazing, Simone. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I sustained brain damage. Obviously, I couldn't speak. It was like I had aphasia, so I couldn't articulate words. I couldn't put sentences together. Uh, So I had to go through, obviously, processing all of that and dealing with it and addressing it. And... um they were, of course, running a whole bunch of tests because they were trying to get some sort of understanding of like, how does a 35-year-old woman have a stroke? Um, so clearly I had a lot of, I had a good grasp of my mind and I was able to kind of really um, be like, holy crap, like I just lost this and this and this and this. And it was just like, life was saying, yeah, how does it feel? Come face to face with it. Now the work be- begins. And it was like, okay, well, you know, next time you hit, you hit harder. Now let's do this. Well, and I was it really, why? it really empowered me because like, I looked at it, like it, it, it almost was empowering. Cause I, in my head, I was thinking, 
you know what I went through and I didn't die? You think you're going to like come and take me out? Do you know who you're <laughs> dealing with here? No, I was I'm just like, thinking when you're talking about, you know, losing everything. And I just thought, yeah. And this was the, this was the foundation for you to find yourself. Yeah, exactly. Because all this time, I'll tell you, I, I find a lot of the people who we were talking about, like people are distracted, right? You give, I, I gave attention so much to, you know, like, oh, I got to eat this and eat that and at this hour and this much. And I was so distracted that I didn't put any effort into thinking like, wait a minute, like, how do I feel about what happened in my past? Like, I'm carrying yeah. all that inside myself. Yeah. Like, I need to deal with that because it did not serve me in any way. How do I feel about it? Where has it gotten me? How is it impacting my life? Where is it showing up? How is it like, what's triggering that to come up? So all of a sudden now I was like, okay, well, I got the time. And, you know, I went to work. It was the hardest work, I'll tell you. I mean, I used to put hours in the gym lifting heavy weights and pushing heavy weights that were nearly impossible. And I mean, like, I threw up from how hard I was working out. Mm. I nearly fainted from how hard I would push myself past my limits because I wanted to see like, what's the body really capable of? So Mm. I did hard work. Don't get me wrong. But to do the work that I had to do this, this healing work and the self-awareness and self-development. Oh my God. Like the gym sessions where I would puke and faint were like a walk in the park. This is really hard work, but it's so worth it. Yeah. So worth it. Yeah. So is this how you got into the holistic healing field? Yes. I really wanted to learn. I mean, so the medical industry, um, not that it, cause it plays a role. And of course we need it. And I advise anybody, holistic health healers, what you are. If you have a stroke, please go to the hospital. It's imperative. I waited like a whole bunch of time before I went because I didn't know what had happened to me it was a stroke. Yeah. yeah. So it's important that you seek emergency, uh, medical, obviously help. And I, I think that in many regards, the stroke was, it was meant for me to learn something about healing because the medical industry really, like I was put on medication that just took me from bad to really bad. Mm. I had like such terrible reactions and the medical industry was not responsible for it. It was the onus was on me. So I just got fed up and I'm like, oh my God, okay. Like I really want to, and I started doing research. I had time on my hands. I was, I couldn't go to work, but I still had like my computer. So I started doing research about what would help me so that I could feel better. So I started, um, I started like taking like the path of detoxification so that I can get all the stuff. I mean, I had meds in my system. They had done a whole bunch of tests when I was in the hospital. They injected me with dyes to be able to do, um, you know, the medical imaging aspect of things. Mm -hmm. And so all of that was probably playing a role, plus the medications that my body was not acclimatized to because I was like just eating healthy and working out before. So um, so I had to, and I got myself off the medications and I, I went into like a detox. I detoxified myself and that's when I went like really high, like my health returned with a vengeance. It was amazing. Wow. It was the best. And then that's when I was like, oh my God, I want to study this. Like, it's so easy. It's really simple, but it is dedication to the work. You really have to put in, like, I mean, I couldn't eat what I ate before. So I was like, okay, no problem. That's why it was important that those habits that I had created, 
I had conditioned myself to, to know what it's like to kind of put everything else aside and you say, okay, now I'm going to concentrate on this and this is how I have to eat to get this result. So that was like a blessing. All the kind of hard work that I was doing before eating very regimented and all of that stuff helped me because now I could really sit down and focus on applying the same foundational principles to how I approach this to get the results I need. But you, you also talked, you also talked previously about it's not just this, those things that create your health. Yeah. I mean, how did you transform your, your mental space and your emotional space in this health journey? Well, first I wanted to know, um, at that time, what exactly, like, how did this, because even the doctors were like, I kept going to my appointments and I'm like, okay. You, you guys ran te- test X, Y, and Z. What have we found out? Because I wanted to learn like, okay, how does my body work and what led to that? I'm the first right. person in my family with, you know, a stroke under my belt. Um, and why did it happen to me when I'm like 35? Yeah. That's because so young. Yeah. And so in perfect young. health. I mean, let's, if you can look at me and say, and I wasn't one that was, let's say, if I had been addicted to drugs or if I was, you know, maybe on some sort of medications that really altered my, my systems, right. but I was clean as a whistle. So I really wanted to learn what exactly caused this particular thing. Um, but it was the, when I started doing the, the, the mental, aspect of it. Like when I started saying like, how the hell does this happen to a 35 year old woman? Like how the hell And my, when doctors are telling me that I'm an exemplary health and that my numbers are exemplary for my blood work. So I thought, okay, I really want to find out like what's at hand. And I just started doing research. So I, I really became acutely aware that you have to really marry the two, the mental mm-hmm. aspect, but more, more than that, the emotional aspect, the mental aspect is good because the, the body is an instrument of the mind. So if the mind is strong enough to tell the body what to do, the body's like, okay, boss, let's do this. And you could do it. But the trauma that much like what you said, the trauma is actually embedded in every cell, like your right. nervous system, especially right. is got all of that, like it's all stored information. Yes. And it's stored information. It's information that's in there, energetic information that's embedded into your very fabric of your being. And so now your, your cells are operating with that in hand. So I wanted to be like, okay, so if I can override what my body feels and my body's made of cells, that means that I can somehow get to that information, erase it, and then be able to have like a clean software running the system. Mm. So I, I read, but it's, a, yeah, it's, trust me, it was, I fast, I mean, I love to learn. It was fascinating <laughs> to learn all of this. Like for me, if De- I could. Debugging your computer. That's right. If I had access to unlimited software. funds, trust me, I would be doing PhDs my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> I would never stop learning. It'd well, be like never, an amazing journey. Yeah. No, you never stop learning anyways. Yeah. But. So what have you learned about, about not just your own healing journey, but how you also help others heal? I think that there is a, and that's very much aligned with the laws of nature. There is a template and a blueprint that we can all apply, much like what you have said, that it's important to do the work, um, 
the power of forgiveness, I think that can apply no matter to whether somebody owes you money or somebody beat the shit out of you your whole life. It applies equally that forgiveness sets you free first and foremost. Much like uh, that saying, it's like you're holding hot coals in your hand, hoping that you're going to be able to punish someone else. Like that anger inside right. of you is is really breaking down your system. Drinking much the as, poison and expecting someone else to die. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Much as, as much as you think, well, the anger is for that person. No, no, no. It's inside of you. It's not going to affect that person in any way. It's going to affect you. So the blueprint is really down to forgiveness Self-awareness, it's so powerful and important that you know where everything stems from, understanding the person and why they did it against you or to you or for you, however you look at it, understanding why why you get, why you react or why you get triggered by things and what triggers you. I think those are, that's such an important, it's important information that can really help you uh, navigate the waters of healing yeah. because that information will set you free. Understanding things is to set you free. I know that for many people, when when you understand how something works, then you can operate it. And if you put in the time to learn how you work, how you what makes you tick, why you are where you are, how that impacted you, are you still holding on to it? Like right. I said, I still react to people when they cut me off. Of course. Of so course. It, you, yeah, so that's, that's, that's part of our humanity. That's part mm-hmm. of our, that's just part of our humanity. And yeah. to think that, I mean, even when you, even when you said, you know, did the person did it to me or the person did it for me? And I think that's there's right. this, there's this whole sense of like, I call it spiritual bypassing, like, oh, everything's for a higher purpose. And, you know, there's mm-hmm. this like Pollyanna. It's like, no, it's freaking hard. It is. They didn't, they didn't do it for me, but what I do for myself yes. in order to deal with what happened to me, that's yes. how I, how I do it for me. That's how I heal for myself. That's how I, I unfold all of these layers of unworthiness and fear and doubt and insecurity and yes. unlovability and all of the, all of the ways that we deny ourselves goodness. In the world, you know, deny ourselves love, deny ourselves connection, deny ourselves a sense of belonging and and value and, and, um, you know, uh, validation in the world. And I think it's important for people to also, um, you know, like seriously, your health, your well-being, your peace of mind, anything that you want to have or is important to have in life is your responsibility. Don't ever look at anybody outside of yourself to come and rescue you, to heal you. At best, they could guide you. And that's why there are uh, experts out there. Like I could guide people on how to eat for health. I could guide people on how to think for health, but I can't do it for you. I can't extract your pain out of you. I can't extract the trauma from your, from yourselves. Only you can do that. And you, you come equipped with all the tools. Like I said, you have the mind. The mind is a very powerful tool. You have the, if you have the abilities and you're in touch with all your faculties, you have everything you need at hand to be able to heal fully. Um, and I also want to say, and it's very important, uh, because I'm a true believer of this. There is absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever, no disease, no illness, no ailment that is not curable. Everything is curable. 
everything from A to Z. Our bodies have an right. ability to heal. That's right. It's programmed and inclined for that. And one of the things I wrote about this in my book is um, the the trauma of of a stroke is not something that is um, programmed into the body. Mm. The body is programmed for health. Right. The body is programmed and inclined for thriving and optimal health. And, and even when we talk about aging, it's a very graceful thing that happens naturally and in line with nature's laws, very much aligned. Uh, however, some of the diseases that we have created for ourselves, man-made diseases, are are something that's not programmed in the body. So you have to learn, use the tools you have in your hand to learn how to traverse those waters and heal yourself. Otherwise, the universe is not a very forgiving place. I mean, if you look at, uh, if you look at gravity, it doesn't care that you don't know about it. If you, if you try to fly off a building, you, you will die. Yes. And if you go into the ocean and you don't know how to swim and you're out in deep waters, you will drown. They like, Nature operates on these laws. I mean, don't expect any kind of, you know, exclusion from the norm or, you know, to be the uh, chosen one. It doesn't work like that. So it's important that we be responsible and that we understand that nobody, including the universe, is not coming to save you. It gave you all you need. You need to do the work. Mm -hmm. That's very important for people to know. You need to do the work. This is that the biggest lesson you want to teach your kids? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And I do. I teach them all the time. I mean, and I think the the most important thing that I have with my kids is that we're close and they seek my counsel on everything. I think it's, I'm, I'm very grateful that they look to me as wise and I have um, letters and cards where my kids thank me that they are where they are. My oldest son, I'm going to show off right now. My oldest son graduated from university with honors. My, he also graduated from high school with honors. My youngest is still in high school and he's got like, uh, A grades, 85, 90% and, and above marks. Um, and very proud of them both. But I think that's in large part because I think I mentioned to you earlier, Don, when I was in school and my mind was on like, holy shit, do I go home and my dad's going to kill us? Right. To have the freedom for them to be able to just go to work and go to school and concentrate on school without having to worry what's happening at home, whether there's going to be World War Three in the household is is like some it's a gift, like it's a freedom that I yeah. would have loved to have had my parents give me. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure that I create. So my kids, you know, they, they grew in a, in a, even though my ex-husband and I are not together, we made a pact that nobody is going to replace me as the mother. Nobody's going to replace him as the father. So we still have to continue and step up to our roles right. as parents and love right. our kids. And we have done that um, splendidly and they have thrived as a result and they do seek uh, my counsel and, and my ex-husband's counsel on many things related to life, be it related to school, how to approach, you know, friendships, people, how to deal with situations. Uh, I tried, like I taught my kids, always be assertive, uh, always stay true to yourself and who you are authentically. I try to constantly pour into them who and what they are. And I always tell them, you're amazing. 
you're, you're a strong being, you're a sovereign being so mm-hmm. that they know who they are and how to operate and from what perspective to approach life. Because, and that's a gift that we give our kids, I think. Well, and, and that is a testimony to your own healing journey. Yes. You know, that you have the self-awareness and that you have, yes, you have broken the cycle. That's right. That's you have so broken important. the Thank cycle. Thank you for that, Dawn. Thank you. I did. Yes. And it was so important for me because I couldn't, I probably wouldn't have been able to live with myself if I had done to my kids what was done to me. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't have. And so what a gift, you know, that you facing yourself and, and developing this, your own inherent sense of value, you know, learning mm-hmm. how to love and care for yourself and have compassion for yourself and forgive yourself and forgive your family, um, that you can be fully present <laughs> with yourself and with them so that you are a beautiful example of yes. how they can grow and thrive and transform and take these um horrible situations yeah and, absolutely and use it for betterment of yourself i i would have uh i would have been heartbroken myself if let's say i had become depressed or dependent on something and i would have ripped my kids off of a of the parent that should guide yeah. them in life that's my responsibility yeah. and my role as my yeah. as a mother as their mother so had i let this take me down then they would have never had me as as the guidance right. for their life and i know that um when i chose to have them i knew that i was responsible for making sure that they have the guidance they need to to be okay in life down the road when they become full adults and they have families of their own so it was important to me that was a big incentive and to this day i still many times i seek discomfort because i've seen how much these uncomfortable situations. I mean, nothing as extreme as what, you know, the way I grew up, but I think that uncomfortable situations really, um, really strengthens the character and teaches you life lessons that you could gift to someone else. And these are all free. Think about it. I mean, my stroke was a free gift. Thank you very much. <laughs> I like, didn't... Oh gosh. Do I have to say it's a gift? <sighs> But it is. I, you really have to choose how how you look at it. If yeah. you look at things from a positive perspective, right, and the lessons that they bring with them, and how much right. better of a human being you're going to be if you apply right. yourself to learning from it, right. it's so priceless, right? I like mean, invaluable, that's, truly. That's that's the thing that you. I I think that 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 it's challenging to say. You know, all of this crap <laughs> happened to me. You know, I survived a lot of. Uh, hurt and heartache and trauma. Um, and yet I've learned so much and I've grown so much and I've become so much more self-aware and so much more compassionate, both, you know, for myself and for others. And so right. you use all of this. Um, it's the, you know, it's the mining of the diamond, right? Mm-hmm. Like tearing all of the coal <laughs> and the iron off so that when you uncover it, it's your yes. beautiful, shining, you know, clear, translucent, um, beautiful, beautiful gift. <laughs> and very valuable too. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Exactly. Gift. Actually, that's a, that's a great comparison because if we really think about it, something of that 
extraordinary beauty and value only comes through a lot of pressure and a lot of processes to get to that level. So yeah, that's a great analysis. Yeah. So, so even consider, you know, whatever you're going through in the moment, or if you've been through something in the past, that how can you alchemize? I mean, that was one of my favorite books, The Alchemist. How can the you Alchemist. alchemize? Paolo Coelho. Yes. Yeah. How can you alchemize and turn and turn it into something beautiful? Yes. And it's so important that people recognize they have that power. You have, yeah. people have so much power, untapped power. Yeah. Very, very vast, vast amounts of power. And so if you remind yourself that you are sovereign, right? That That's you right. have creative, you are, you are, um, you know, built to be a creator. You're built to transform. Your cells are constantly rejuvenating, right? That's right. And so how can I use this thing to propel me forward? You know, where do I, where do I want to be instead of where I am in this moment? And I think especially when you have kids, like what kind of example do I want to be for my kids? What do I want to teach them? What's the legacy I want to leave them with? Yeah. A lot of times people say, what's your why? What's your why? What's your why? And I remember even when I had the stroke, I was, uh, I was thinking like the idea and the thought went through my head and I'm like, oh, I thought, you know, the thought of my kids looking down at my body in a coffin. And that became so powerfully, like a powerful incentive for me to be like, okay, I would never, ever over my dead body. Thank you very much. (laughs) I will never let that happen. So it's, it was a really, really big incentive to, to really put the effort forward because I really wanted for them. So if it's, if your why are your children and or your family, that's a great why. That's a great incentive to really put in the work to gift them that invaluable to just to know for me to know that my kids are going to be okay in life because they, they are equipped with what they need, my guidance and what I've taught them to be and how I built them as human beings so that they're confident, mm-hmm. that they are assertive. Um, they've never been bullied. I was very diligent in making sure that they are strong individuals right. in the face of everything that when adversity comes, I always, I never wanted them to see me weak or suffering. I always just smiled. I'm like, Oh, like you, we could get through anything. Yeah. I always told them that so that I always wanted them to feel like there's never reason to despair that there's always a solution. Right. Right. And so that's how they know. And, and I remember, I remember one time I, I told my, my older son, he was eating like a whole bunch of crap and he came home late. You know, he was out with his friends and he came with a whole bunch of crap. And I said, Oh, honey, I'm like, you know, this and this is a like the practitioner in me. I'm like, this is a carcinogen. This can cause cancer. He's like, oh, that's okay, mom. You, you told me that everything is, you know, curable. It's all good. Even if that happens, you'll help me cure it. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it works. We want to prevent all of that. But it's good to see you're confident and you don't, you're not in a place of worry or stress or panic or, you know, fear. It's great. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So he's, he's got this like easygoing, free kind of approach to life, which is great. I love uh-huh. that about my kids. Yeah. Well, what a beautiful, beautiful gift you are. 
Yes. Thank you so much, Dawn. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you for letting me share my story. And uh, even for your platform that really empowers people and allows them to learn how to how to get through it. It's like we're a community and we're able to help others get through the tough times through our examples and through our lessons. Yeah, I I I always say, I mean, this is why I love doing this, because I talk to amazing people like you who have overcome so much and so that other people who listen, you know, if they've had similar struggles, that they can see a sense of hope, you know, that there's it's not just, oh, I'm I'm living and I'm just on autopilot and, you know, putting up with status quo or whatever the situation is, but that you can say, I have choice. I have choice. I can feel, I can let go of the shackles that keep me imprisoned, you know, or the, right. or the people that still have an emotional hold over me. And instead, you know, if I do my work, <laughs> if I do my work, if I face myself, if I face all of the things inside of me that I've been afraid to face. It's like if I really face myself and work through all of the things that I've been through, that I can, at the end of the day, whatever day that is, at the end of the day, (laughs) I can look in the mirror, Louise Hay, I can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm an amazing human being. Yes. You know, I'm worthy of love. I accept all aspects of me, Mm -hmm. all aspects of me because they're part of who I am. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and how they brought me to this place. I've learned the lessons that I've learned. I'm now using them to help other people, you know, to help other people in their health and their well-being and their emotional state and their mental state. And it's like, we're all here together. You know, I feel like we're all these pieces of this big world puzzle where we'll, where we're all learning and growing and evolving and trying to uplift um, trying to uplift the world. Yeah. We learn from each other and we, we play a role in each other's lives Yeah, to be able to help each other navigate the waters when it's difficult for some of us. Yeah. So how, so the, the last question I asked my guest, Simone, (laughs) because this podcast is called wake up to real love. Mm -hmm. How do you define real love? Real love is, um, being able to feel something for someone without expecting anything in return, giving it without expecting something in return and not giving it on the premise that they do something or give something to you. Right. It's like not, not putting expectations or standards, your standards onto somebody else. Much like what you said, accepting the person exactly how they are, where they are on their journey in life, knowing that none of us are perfect human beings and that we all have something or other in our life, either from our past or from our present that is affecting us, that we're we're struggling with and expecting that person to be perfect for you to love them. Right. That's not real love. And I think to a high degree, real love starts with the self, like love yourself first to be able to love another. Yeah. And I know, I, I know that, um, some people say, well, I have, I can't love somebody else until I love myself. 
but I feel like it's in loving someone else that you learn to love yourself. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that reflective um, perspective where the more love that I can give and the more love that I can give to myself, it just right. makes everything expand exponentially. Right. right. So you're so beautiful. <laughs> I'm so you grateful. You're so sweet. No, I'm thank so you. grateful for you to be here with me. Thank you for having me on your amazing show. And I know that the work that you do is so important. Thank you. I really wish I would have had somebody like you in my life when I was going down that path when I had my stroke. So Mm -hmm. people like you are so important uh, to help those that need that help in that hard time. Absolutely. Thank you. So how do people get in touch with you, Simone? Yes, absolutely. So my website, simonegisandi.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, Simone.Gisondi. Um, and all of my email addresses on my website, Simone at SimoneGisondi.com. Would love to connect. Um, I run, as I mentioned, uh, I'm, I run some self, um, help groups specifically for people that have gone or are going through divorce and being able to navigate those waters without holding on to the anger and being jaded and forgiveness and things of that nature. Uh, so I would love to connect. Absolutely. Mm. And your book? And my book. Yes. My <laughs> book on Amazon and every other, um, every other bookstore. I, I just checked the other day it was on Barnes and Noble. So every bookstore, but definitely on Amazon and it's called Against Medical Advice which is reflective of what I had to do to get myself back on track yeah. with my stroke during my divorce. Um, so against medical advice, and you could even search it by my name. Yeah. See, what, a, what a gift you are, really. You're just Thank you so much, Dawn. Likewise. Because yeah, you've overcome so much. Like, I'm thank just you. Like, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't even hold the <laughs> candle to you, but thank you. Oh, no. Come on. Come on. Come on. No, 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 no. Don't say that. Don't say that. You're this is, beautiful, this is beautiful. just, I mean, you, you have, uh, you have studied this and you've worked with thousands of people. For me, I just worked with myself in that regard. So that was, that was, um, you've helped way more, more people. So definitely. No, I, I don't, I don't know that we don't need to do a comparison, but you I'm sure doing... that you have, you probably have couples that are probably, they have their marriage back thanks to you, which, which is an amazing thing. That's a gift to the world, more love in the world, much needed, wow. especially now. And it's beautiful, you know, that you have set a different example for your kids. Yes. To absolutely. create something new and Thank for, you. and for us to find that kind of love. Yes. Absolutely. For Those are, yes. If you know how, what unconditional love is, just yeah. think of how you love your children. Yeah. Beautiful. So, um, listeners, I'm sure you will. Yeah. I mean, I've gained so much. I always. <laughs> I've gained so much from your experience, you know, from you sharing your experience and all you've overcome. And so please, please, please subscribe to the Wake Up to Real Love podcast. Um, Give a five-star review, share with your friends, anybody that could benefit from hearing this message of self-love and healing and worthiness, uh, because I do believe this is why we're all here to help uh, uplift each other and help, you know, come back to this place of love and acceptance for who we are at our core, which is we are perfect, whole and complete, uh, regardless. We're not broken. We don't need to be fixed. We don't, you know, we just are on this journey to remind ourselves of our true beauty and nature, which is 
you know, pure love and joy and connection. Very true. Yeah. Thank you again, Dawn. Thank you, Simone. So everyday listeners wake up to more and more real love. We'll see you next time. Take care. Subscribe to the Wake Up To Real Love podcast. Leave five-star reviews. And of course, share with your friends. You can find Dawn on various social media platforms at Dawn Richard or at The Awakening with Dawn.